Today on Truths That Transform. George Washington, believing that worship was so important, conducted divine worship for his army every Sabbath day. Find that in your public school textbooks. Connecticut being the Constitution state affected our U.S. Constitution, which starts off with we the people. Hi, I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza, and welcome to Truths That Transform. We invite you to stay connected with us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube by looking for D. James Kennedy Ministries. And also visit us on the web at djkm.org, where you'll find a wide variety of videos and resources. This week, America marks the 291st birthday of George Washington, widely known as the father of our country. But where one generation grew up venerating Washington and his fellow founders, more recently, they've been maligned and put under a cloud of suspicion. On today's program, we'll look at the real George Washington, and we begin with a look at how so many great Christian leaders, beginning with the settling of America, brought us a system of government that has stood the test of time as the most remarkable bulwark of freedom on earth. Our Providence Forum, headed by Dr. Jerry Newcomb, is dedicated to preserving, defending, and advancing the Judeo-Christian values of our nation's founding. They have produced a documentary series called The Foundation of American Liberty. Let's look at the gift our founders gave us by way of America's Christian settlers in this preview of their new documentary, We the People. I'm very grateful, very blessed, and delighted to be an American because there's so much liberty still in this great land, many problems, and I will not deny that we have those problems, but there is still opportunity in America, there is still hope in America, there is still prayer in America, and I continue to pray for America. As a Native American, the Constitution means to me that I have a protection, I have a wall, I have something that covers me, and that is the rule of law. I think that the United States Constitution has been very valuable just considering the evidence. Number one, we still have the Constitution, although it's not obeyed all the time, but the Constitution has led to the richest and the most powerful nation on the face of earth, and the greatest amount of uh, personal liberty that uh, people enjoy. People try to get to the United States. People want to live in the United States. They want to become American citizens. And the reason why is the liberty that we have.
Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 1781. Ladies and gentlemen, the first President of the United States, John Hansen. The date was November 5, 1781, a month after the victory in Yorktown. John Hansen was sworn in as the first president. Hansen was a merchant from Maryland who was the first elected president under the Articles of Confederation, which predated the Constitution by a decade. The term was only for one year, and there were eight such men who served as President of the United States before George Washington would later become the first president under the Constitution. The Articles of Confederation were the first frame of government created by the Founding Fathers in Philadelphia in 1777 and going into effect in 1781. When the Founders came to Philadelphia in 1787, why did they give up on the Articles of Confederation and move to a new Constitution? Well, they realized that they were between a rock and a hard place. They had a Christian people, they had a, a Christian basic republic, but they didn't have a strong enough national government to allow them to fight off these tyrannies that were coming at them. They were about ready to be attacked by the French, the English, and the Spanish. These great empires were about ready to gobble us up. One of the flaws of the Articles of Confederation was that in order for something to be passed, all 13 states had to agree. John Adams had not been far wrong when he said that from the beginning, he had seen more difficulty from our attempts to govern ourselves than from all the fleets and armies of Europe. Catherine Drinker Bowen. On August 29, 1786, near Springfield, Massachusetts, American Army veteran Daniel Shays led a group of a few thousand other veterans who were suffering economically under the fledgling government. They tried to seize the armory at Springfield, but were unsuccessful. Daniel Shays was a farmhand who had participated in the battles of Lexington and Concord and the Battle of Bunker Hill. This attack was known as Shays' Rebellion. The government of the United States was so weak under the Articles of Confederation that it wasn't working. In America, the government of the Union has gradually dwindled into a state of decay, approaching nearly to annihilation. Alexander Hamilton. As a response to Shays' Rebellion, delegates from the states met in the summer of 1787 in order to amend the Articles of Confederation. But early on, a Virginia delegate, Edmund Jennings Randolph, proposed that they start all over and create a new document, and that proposal won the day. One state, Rhode Island, never even bothered to send a delegate to the convention. Who were these 55 men that attended what we now call the Constitutional Convention? When we look to that Constitutional Convention, those 55 delegates, we find that contrary to what is commonly being taught today, the overwhelming majority were actively affiliated with Christian churches. I actually happen to believe that the founding fathers and their wives, the men and women who founded this great nation, were ordinary people who had the ability to hear from God and to obey. But it wasn't easy. Loaded down with self-interest in conflicts between large states and small states and in fights over slavery, it is a wonder that the five-month convention ever produced anything and something that has lasted so well for about 250 years.
When the founders sat down to frame the government, they had a century and a half of self-government experience to draw from, particularly from the Puritan covenants. The biblical idea of covenant did impact the formation of the government in America. So it goes back to ancient Israel, those first 400 years when they came out of Egypt. Covenant is actually something initiated by uh, the Old Testament, specifically the Torah, the first five books, where you have something unique in history, like so much else in the, the Bible. This is all innovative. The idea of God making a covenant with the people. The Constitution was written in Philadelphia, but Connecticut calls itself the Constitution State. That's because the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, written in 1639, was the first complete constitution written on American soil. It was inspired by a sermon based on a text in Deuteronomy. The Connecticut Constitution helped serve as a model for the U.S. Constitution. And so when the New England pastors were forming their different communities of Hartford and Exeter, New Hampshire, and these different places, they were using this bottom-up form of government, this congregational form of government, not just for their church, but it transitioned to their community government. So we have a direct line where it was the Bible and these pastors that affected the formation of government in New England. And eventually, Connecticut being the Constitution state, affected our U.S. Constitution, which starts off with we the people. By the time you get to the founding fathers, by the time you get to the colonies, they had the wonderful miracle of having 150 years during the colonial era to use as an incubator of freedom, separated from the tyrants of Europe, where they could take the Bible that had been just introduced to the world the century before. Only in the 16th century had people read the Bible. And when the founders built this country, they knew that was the foundation. That's why it was so successful. The idea of limiting the power of government and the idea of the consent of the governed gets back to the practice of the settlers of Plymouth in 1620, that is, the pilgrims. They are almost 200 years before the Constitution. Nevertheless, the principles we see in the Constitution of limited powers, limited delegated powers, checks and balances, separation of powers, reserved individual rights and the like, the Pilgrims and the Puritans would have identified with that completely. The Mayflower Compact it was a covenant promise where a group of people got together and covenanted one to another to form a body politic where the people were in charge. This was voluntary. You didn't have to belong to Plymouth. It was your choice, unlike England. America is in crisis. What we do now will echo down through generations America can be saved, but not if we fail to act. We have an important book we'd like to send you called Seven Steps for a Nation in Crisis by D. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb. It contains meditations and prayers on the seven steps necessary to restore America and maintain God's shield over it. And we will send it to you at no cost or obligation to you. Contact us today and ask for Seven Steps for a Nation in Crisis to receive these powerful biblical solutions to the challenges America currently faces. It's not merely some exercise in nostalgia to go back and revisit what America's founders believed and did. They built the foundation that our nation rests upon, and if we neglect that foundation, the structure is sure to crumble. And indeed, we see signs of that happening all around us. 
It has become popular among revisionist historians to claim that the founders were all deists who wanted religion mostly kept out of public life. But a look at the actual facts shows something much different. Nobody has been more misunderstood than the father of our country, George Washington. On this week of Washington's birthday, Dr. D. James Kennedy introduces us to George Washington, the Christian. How many of you have read a positive article about George Washington in the newspaper recently? Ah, I'm afraid that there have been few, if any, that have been written because the historical revisionists, those are the termites in the timber of civilization, which really began 30 or 40 years ago with the communist effort to destroy the greatness of America's foundation and now have been continued since the fall of communism by the atheists and uh, by the ungodly and the immoralist, uh, those who can't stand greatness. And they have been very busy destroying the foundations of this country and replacing them with something that is vile with which they feel much more comfortable. Was Washington a man of virtue and morality? Or was he, as the debunkers say, who seek only to say that virtue is a mask that covers hypocrisy because they know that they are hypocrites and have no real virtue and they cannot stand the fact that it actually might exist in somebody else. Isn't it interesting that during his lifetime and at his death, it was said that his character was the wonder of the world. And it waited for almost 200 years before Hollywood discovered that he really was nothing special at all. Isn't it interesting that those that knew him best saw his greatness, but those who never knew him at all can only see his weakness. Abigail Adams, who spoke her mind very clearly about most everything, said this, he was possessed of power, possessed of an extensive influence. And there is no doubt of that. Washington had more power and more influence than anybody in America and his day. But she says, he never used it, but for the benefit of his country. If we look through the whole tenor of his life, History will not produce a parallel. Thomas Jefferson knew him well. And uh, Jefferson said of him that he was a man of phenomenal character and qualities, that his integrity was the most pure his justice the most inflexible I have ever known, and that no motives of friendship or hatred 
were able to bias his decisions. He was indeed, in every sense of the word, a wise, a good, and a great man. Did you read that in the papers this week? I sincerely doubt it indeed. No, he was a man who sought to add to his faith virtue. He was reared in a godly Episcopal home. He was taught the scriptures and many other things about the Christian faith by his godly father who was a vestryman in the Anglican church until his father died at the age of 11, Washington's age. His mother took over the teaching of her son, but required him at age 11, from that time forward at the death of his father, to conduct daily worship in their family in the place of his father. How many of you know that George Washington was a preacher? How many of you have read and learned that here before this day? Can I see your hands? If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you where he preached. <laughs> where did he preach? Well, I can't hear you, so you're off the hook. <laughs> he, as commander-in-chief of the Defense Forces of Virginia, as a colonel, he implored the government to send a chaplain for his army a very considerable army, I might add, and a chaplain could not be found that was willing to go out onto the frontier and brave the elements and uh, place his life in jeopardy. And so of those three years, for the last two, George Washington, believing that worship was so important, conducted divine worship for his army every Sabbath day for two years. Find that in your public school textbooks. I'd love to see it, but I don't think that you will find it there. Was he really a Christian? What did he truly believe in his heart? Well, let me tell you, one of the most amazing insights into the heart of the father of our country. On April 21st to 23rd, 1891, over 100 years ago, there was sold at auction in Philadelphia a remarkable collection of the personal possessions of George Washington, which had been in the hands of his family heirs for generations. Among them, there was found a little manuscript book, the most precious gem there, which contained 24 pages filled with handwritten carefully scribed prayers in Washington's own hand. And this has been checked by handwriting experts. And uh, they are filled with beautiful, fervent, and evangelical language, the language of his, of his faith and his religious beliefs. He said, for example, in one of these prayers, I humbly beseech thee to be merciful to me in the free pardon of my sins for the sake of thy dear Son and only Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to call not the righteous but sinners unto repentance. 
Thou gavest thy son to die for me. And there are many, 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 many more. They are as evangelical prayers as are heard from the pulpit of almost any evangelical church in the world today. No, my friends, these are not the prayers of a deist. They are the prayers of a Christian. Hello, I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy. The reality about George Washington and America's other founders has been twisted for so long that we're in danger of losing it. The modern followers of Marx who want to undermine America have been rewriting our history for decades because separating us from our foundations is how you take the nation in a radically different direction. They have twisted the First Amendment, which protected religion, to mean that Christianity is now banned from the public square. That's why my father was so passionate about proclaiming the Christian basis of America. And we want to equip you to help continue what he began. We've produced an important book that will help you see more clearly than ever what's at stake here and to communicate it to others. It's our book, Reclaiming the Lost Legacy, the Founders, and the First Amendment. And we'll send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation for helping us to do our vital work. Reclaiming the Lost Legacy features chapters from my dad, Dr. D. James Kennedy, as well as Judge Roy Moore and others. The effort to make America into a secular nation is completely at odds with our history and our Constitution. But you'd never know that today if you went to public school or listened to our media organizations. Rediscover the true legacy of freedom that was left to us by our founding fathers and find out how we can reclaim it for our children and grandchildren. If you're able to give a generous donation of $40 or more, we'll send you Reclaiming the Lost Legacy plus the DVD documentary, We the People, produced by our Providence Forum and Dr. Jerry Newcomb. This documentary is part of the Foundation of American Liberty series, tracing America's Christian history. We the People explores the connection between the Bible and our two key founding documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And it features guests like Eric Metaxas, Dennis Prager, Alveda King, and more. This documentary, of which you saw just a short portion earlier in this program, clears away the lies surrounding America's establishment as a nation. And it shows how Christianity profoundly influenced our founding documents. That's our book, Reclaiming the Lost Legacy, The Founders and the First Amendment, including chapters from D. James Kennedy and Judge Roy Moore, as thanks for your generous donation and the book plus the DVD documentary, We the People from our Providence Forum, as thanks for your gift of $40 or more. And your donation helps this ministry to proclaim and defend these key historical truths and the freedom that flows from them through our nationwide television broadcasts, documentaries, digital resources, and so much more. So please stand with us. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. One of the more troubling characteristics of our current age 
is the urge to cut ourselves off from anything in our past. C.S. Lewis referred to this as chronological snobbery, which is basically the idea that we know everything today, and those who came before us were ignorant and backward. This arrogant attitude is not only common, but it's now dominant. Nowhere does it show itself more clearly than in the left's fixation with erasing our nation's founding fathers. The argument goes something like this. America's founders were a bunch of white, racist slave traders, and so nothing they say should hold any value for us today. This desire to pick people out of any point in history and make them conform to the social standards of 10 minutes ago is historically ignorant, but it drives much of what we see today. Anyone with a dose of humility might recognize, yes, the generation of the founders had some blind spots, some of them severe, but so does every generation. There is no question that slavery is a blot on the founding of America. But to single the founders out for this is to ignore the entire world situation at the time. Slavery was not unique to the United States. It was, and really always has been, the default world situation. As my friend Oz Guinness has said, slavery is the norm, sadly, in human history. Abolition is the novelty. And yet the novelty of abolition is exactly what happened in America, as well as in the British Empire. The slave trade was a horrific evil, without question. But many of those founders had troubled consciences about slavery in a world that was completely untroubled by it. And it was their principles, based upon their Judeo-Christian worldview, that ultimately led to the abolition of slavery in America. Meanwhile, millions elsewhere, even today in 2023, still live in shadow slavery, often in Islamic nations. That's something you don't hear much about from those who gleefully attack American principles. The founders were very flawed people, of course, but so are we. What will future generations say about the abortion holocaust that's taken over 60 million lives in America? as many of our most prominent leaders supported, encouraged, and enabled it. No generation is perfect. Certainly not the current radicals who view the past with 2020 vision and yet send confused children for gender reassignment surgery, call the murder of millions of babies reproductive justice, force children through a failing school system, and muzzle free speech in the name of progress. The Founders' underlying principles brought us 200 plus years of liberty and prosperity such as the world has never seen. The principles of our elites today have brought us what we see on the news every day. Perhaps we should be paying more attention to our forebears and not less. If you're in South Florida, we invite you to come worship with us at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. And you can also join us by live stream every Sunday at crpc.tv, where you'll also find previous live streams and other resources. Thank you for joining us today. And here's a look at the next Truths That Transform. I think that George Washington probably was the most decent American that we've ever had. He was a very successful general 
and he was just a decent person. And after the war, they wanted to make him king. And he said, no, we did not fight a war to have a monarchy. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.